Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here. We, it's Halloween last night and deer season's upon us, so I didn't know... If I was just going to be preaching myself this morning, but I'm so glad that, that you have come this morning. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles, if you have a, a copy of God's Word, Luke chapter 7. Uh, these next eight weeks, I really am excited about these next eight weeks, uh, this series about the encounters that, we're gonna, that Jesus has with individuals in the Gospels. And uh, why I'm so excited about these encounters is that there are times in the Gospel stories that that the gospel writers just seem to have a little pause button. And though that Jesus um, spoke and ministered to thousands of people during his three-year public ministry, um, there are times and occasions where the writers just kind of stop and, and kind of focus in on an individual. And sometimes that individual is given a name, and, but we know more about their story. And the reason why I believe that the gospel writers take the time to focus in on individuals and and their encounters with Jesus is because these individuals, even though they lived 2,000 plus years ago, they had the same worries about life. They had the same questions about life. They had the same circumstances in life that, that all mankind faces, no matter where they live, uh, no matter what culture they're brought up in, uh, no matter what day and age they uh, live in. Um, we all have these certain common issues that plague mankind in our fallenness. And so these encounters that Jesus had with these individuals that he takes time um, to spend with, and the gospel writers take time to expound on their situation, it's because we, we, you and I, face those same circumstances, those same questions, those same struggles in life. And so I hope that in these next eight weeks you're going to be encouraged um, because when we read about these encounters with Jesus... This is what stands out to me. It's his undeniable love that he has for people. And, and the undeniable love that he had for the people in his time, he has the same undeniable love for you and for me this morning. And every encounter that Jesus has, he's always bringing people um, to a decision. He's always asking people to come to a, a decisive moment. Are they going to believe are they going to walk away from him? Are they going to truly trust in him or not? And so just as Jesus calls these people in Scripture to, um, to moments of action, he's also going to call you and I to moments of decision as well. This morning, um, the challenge before us is this. What do you do when the Lord says no to you? What do you do when the answer from the Lord is an undeniable no. What is your response going to be when you, you've held out in faith, when you've prayed every prayer that you can think of, and you do what is right before God? I mean, you are just 100% obedient to God. And yet, he doesn't come through in the way that you want him to come through. That you want him to do something for you, and constantly you hear this, no, no. That's not my plan. 
And you come to this realization that God is not going to do for you what you want him to do. What are you going to do when God doesn't perform the miracle? What are you going to do when God just leaves you in that struggle for a long period of time? What are you going to do when God does not remove the obstacle? What are you going to do when God doesn't remove the pain? What then? What do we do with a God that we cannot control? What can we do about a God that we cannot manipulate? We're kind of left in, in, this, in, this, in, this, in this uncertainty of times that we have to either trust in the end that he is a good and, and righteous heavenly father or we will continue to struggle with, with who he is. In Luke chapter 7, which is our text this morning, we find a man who heard no from Jesus. Now, there's a lot of times in Scripture when Jesus is, is ministering to people and encountering people and helping people. It, it's a resounding yes. He, he makes a way for people. And this one occasion, he tells a man that I believe that Jesus loved dearly. And this man loved Jesus dearly. But the answer from Jesus was an absolute resounding no. You see, Jesus in Luke chapter 7 has an encounter with John the baptizer. Now, this encounter was not in person. John was in prison, so John sent his emissaries to, to go ask Jesus a question. And so in Luke 7, John asked the question, and Jesus responds. And, and, and I think that what the question that John asks is a question that is really on the human heart today. So in the beginning in verse 18, it says this. The disciples of John also reported to him about these things, meaning that Jesus was just going around everywhere and he was just uh, healing people, raising people from the dead, just doing these supernatural miracles. And after some summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, are you the coming one or are we to look for another? And when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the coming one? Or are we to look for another? And at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. People who were blind received sight. People who were, who, who, who were lame can now walk. People with leprosy are cleansed. And people who were deaf here. Dead people are raised up and, and people who are poor have the gospel preached to them. Would you not like to be a part of that scene? I mean, you got the lame, you got the, the lepers, you got those who are blind, you got the people being raised from the dead, all in one afternoon. And bless John and blesses anyone who does not take offense at me. Verse 28. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John was disappointed with Jesus. You see, John, ever since he was born, had a calling on his life. And in an age in which only he could understand, he understood this calling. 
and he carried out this calling in 100% full obedience to the Lord. To such a degree that, that John um, lived a, a nomadic life, a strange life to many people. But his preaching was powerful and undeniable from God. He knew that he was the, the forerunner, the one who was going to make the way for the, the coming Messiah. And it was he that, that baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And in that moment when he baptized Jesus, he's the one. John, John was the one who proclaimed him to be the Messiah. But from the moment of the, of the river and baptizing Jesus to the moment he found himself sitting in a, in a prison, not because of any fault of his own, he was just preaching truth to those in power. You don't do that without some sort of consequence. And he's sitting in, in prison at the age of 33. And he's wondering what's going to happen to him. All he knows is that death is before him and there's no other option unless the Messiah himself comes and, and does something miraculous and sets him free. And while he waits for Jesus to respond, and, and listen, he, Jesus knows that John is in prison. I mean, John, the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus knows everything about this man. He knows his situation. And he's sitting in prison, and as he's sitting in prison, just like you and I, when we just sit around and we have nothing else to do, we just begin to repeat our circumstances over and over in our minds, and we begin to stew on things. And, and when we stew in our disappointment, guess what? Doubt begins to come to the surface. So, so what do you do if you're like John and, and you become disappointed with the Lord? I think these te this text and Jesus' response kind of gives us some clues about what we ought to do when, when disappointment hits our life unexpectedly. Well, first, you, you, we, we do this. We do what John did. We, we take our doubts to the Lord. The question that John had for Jesus, it's a loaded question. Are you the one? In one way, it's a question. It's a, it's a, it, the question is a cry for help. In another way, it's, it's just to kind of ascertain whether or not Jesus truly cares for him. He was at this place where, where he was at a crossroads of belief in his life. This, this good and righteous man struggled, and, and he's just like anyone else who was just kind of given a, a twist and a turn in life. And, and that's what we're all about, that when we come to a place in our life where we don't have the answers, when things come out of the blue, uh, life throws us a curveball and we're left without a life preserver, we begin to doubt. And this doubt that, that John had, the student in his mind, led to naturally be disappointed in his circumstances and be disappointed in God. And, and, and let me say this, this, this is good for us to, to know. That no matter who you are in life, no matter even for those of us who, who walk as faithful as we can to God, it's going to come upon us, naturally going to come upon us, moments of, of disappointment. And it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to doubt. I will even go as far because when I look at Scripture, because John the Baptist is not the only one in Scripture who had times of disappointment with God and doubted God. When we doubt and when we are disappointed, that is not sin. It is what we do with this disappointment and, and doubt that could lead us to sin. 
But just doubting and being disappointed is not sin. You see, doubts rise out of disappointment. And disappointment comes when, when actual events or experiences rise up in our lives that, that we were not anticipating, right? It's kind of like, um, I don't know if you guys uh, bake or, or, or cook at all, but it's like following a recipe. You find this recipe in a cookbook, and it has a picture with it, and you're like, man, I am going to make this. And you follow every single step. But for whatever reason, after following every single step of that recipe, the end product never looks like the picture, right? And it may not even taste what you thought it was going to taste like in the end. And, and sometimes that leads to disappointment. I know that was a, it's, a, it's an illustration, but what I'm getting at is this. You can do everything right in your spiritual life. You can be faithful. You can be humble. Um, you can be expectant for the Lord at any time in your life. And yet disappointment may come. Because disappointment comes in dramatic moments, but it also comes in our mundane moments of life. And I'm glad that Luke took this moment um, to explain to us fully this encounter. Because it, it gives us a plan of action. It, it tells us that, that we are not to sit around to stew in our doubts. We are to do something with those doubts. To have a plan of action at hand. And, and the plan of action is to, is to take it to the Lord. That is the great lifeline we have is, is that lifeline of prayer. That we can take things to the Lord and, and, and just unleash our heart and our burdens and place it before the Lord. And allow the Lord to carry those burdens for us. And this is what I want to I encourage us with this morning. The Lord is strong enough. The Lord is great enough to take on your doubts. Your doubts do not scare God. He understands from your perspective what you're going through. He understands that you don't see what he sees. He understands that you may not be able to comprehend the long-range plans that he has for you in that particular situation of life. He understands that in faith, sometimes we have to walk through times of uncertainty. He understands that. And so with that understanding, he is able to take on all of your doubts and your disappointments in him. And just like Jesus did not rebuke John when he came to him with his doubts, God is not going to rebuke you. Just like Jesus did not mock John because of his, his struggle in faith in that moment, God is not going to mock you as well. You see, we, we, we sometimes we think that our doubts and our struggles with disappointment God, that God is, would be angry at us, that God would wash his hands of us, that God would make the journey even harder for us to teach us a lesson about not doubting him and being disappointed in him. And I'm telling you, that is not the heart of God that I find in Scripture. He wants us to come to him and to lean in, in on him, especially in those moments where we just cannot see maybe the goodness of God in that situation. So take your doubts to him and trust him that in the end he will bring about his good in your life. Now, you're saying, now, Myers, how in the world can God restore the loss in my life? How can God bring back the one that I've loved that who's now dead? How can God restore a a, a body that just won't function properly. 
How can God take away my physical pains? How can God restore my deep heartaches and, and the brokenness that I live with? How in the world can God do that? Well, I'm going to make you wait to the very end, in the next 15 minutes from now, and I'll, I'll give you the answer. But first, are you just willing just to go before God and just say, Here, here's the reality of my heart, God, and just unload it on him and allow through the Holy, Holy Spirit's ministry back to you, begin to flood you with his grace and his mercy. You see, at the heart of our doubts is, is an attack on the foundations of our faith. You see, like I said, it's okay to doubt, and, and trust me, we need to take those doubts to Jesus. But if, if over a long period of time, if we continue to stew in our doubts and we continue to not let go of the disappointments in life, then it's going to erode the foundations of faith that we have in Jesus. And Jesus was, was challenging John in his response to John not to lose faith. And that's for us too. That, that when we are, are walking in disappointment towards God, that by all means, don't come to a place where you chuck aside your faith. Don't come to a place where you say, you know what? If God can't do ABC for me, and at this moment in my life, then I no longer believe. And there are some that have already made that decision. And maybe someone in this room this morning is at a place where you say, I can't take this no more. And you are tempted yourself to, to walk away from the God who loves you and the God who has done great things in your life. You see, for John, the response that Jesus gave him was not the response that he wanted to hear. And like I said, can you imagine that scene that afternoon when, when those disciples of John are just standing there and just watching Jesus go to town. And what Jesus was doing was he was fulfilling some prophecies out of Isaiah. And in response to, uh, to, John, to John, Jesus was quoting to him these prophetic passages in Isaiah where, where the Messiah was setting people free, where the Messiah was healing people, where the Messiah was raising the dead back to life. And so when he is quoting these scriptures uh, to John's disciples to take back to John. When John heard these, he, he knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. He would truly know what was taking place. And for Jesus to say, yes, I am the Messiah. And yes, I, I do the supernatural. But the supernatural act that you want me to do for you, John, I am not going to do. So go and report to John what you have seen and heard. And then I want you to remind John of this. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. That, that's a great statement. It's a powerful statement. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Uh, Luke uses the Greek word there in, in this recording, scandalizo, which is where we get our word scandalous, or to scandalize. It literally means to be tripped up. And so what Jesus was getting at was this. He was saying, John, I'm, my answer is no. But in my answer of no, don't let that trip you up in your faith in me. You see, when we give in 
to doubts and disappointment over time. It'll begin to trip us up and it would scandalize our faith or scandalize our life. You begin to wonder, is Jesus enough for me? Is he still good? Is he still faithful when I continue to experience pain and suffering and loss in my life? And Jesus tells you and I, just like he tells John, blessed are you who don't lose faith because I do not do what you want me to do. You see, that's the part of, of walking in faith that, um, that kind of scares us sometimes. That we have a God who, who may not be on the same page we are when it comes to um, ending our circumstances or, or bringing about a better, a better road or better path in life. I mean, he's a God, like I said at the very beginning, is a God we cannot control. But see, John the Baptist is just like us. Is that we want God to say yes. And we want God to say yes right now. <laughs> we want to see the miraculous in our life right now. And John just joins a litany of others in the scriptures where, where, when they were disappointed because God just did not move when they wanted him to move. Job comes to mind. Easily Job comes to mind. Job is just like John. Just, just had these doubts and struggled with this appointment with God because of all that he, he went through. In fact, the scripture said there's no one like Job who suffered more in life. In the middle of his, of his struggle, in the middle of his disappointment, this is what Job says in Job chapter 13, verse 15. He says, Though God you slay me, yet will I hope in you. That's what faith looks like. Until my last breath... I'm going to trust you. Until my last breath, I'm going, to, I'm going to look to you in hope. To my last breath, I'm going to say, at the last second of my life, God, you can still perform a miracle. You can still come through for me. But in the end, if he doesn't, in the end, if, if, his, if his answer is no, is he still good? Is he still righteous? Is he still wonderful to you? Is he, are you still in, in awe of him? That's the moment of decision that, that Jesus is leading us to this morning. Are we willing to say, I choose to hold on to faith even when you don't do what I want you to do for me? Well, now, Luke nor any of the other four writers tell us what happens when John receives this message from Jesus. And, and sometimes that kind of bothers me a little bit, but I kind of like the tension of not knowing what his response was. The, only, the next thing we know about John is that he is actually beheaded. But between the time that the disciples came back to him to his beheading, you know, was it days? Was it weeks? But he stood there and he had to deal with the answer and, and hearing the words of Jesus, you know, blessed are you, you do not take offense at me. What did you do with that? I kind of like, there's some part of me that kind of likes the tension because it, 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 for you and I, we don't know what the outcome is when, 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 when we're told no. 
there's that tension of faith. How are we going to respond? There's this last thing I want to bring to your attention because I, I think this is, gonna, this is a great key in, in dealing with the struggle of disappointment and doubt in our life. And this is what I want to leave you with last. Choose to turn your disappointment into gratitude. I, I can find no greater weapon at your disposal than to be in the midst of a situation which is beyond your grasp, beyond your understanding. Maybe you're in a situation where the doctors say there is no hope for you. Maybe your condition is permanent. Maybe your relationship with that individual that you long to be restored is forever broken. Maybe the financial situation is very stark and very, and very trying in your life right now. This is a great weapon at your disposal. Choose to have a heart of, of gratitude. Gratitude takes nothing for granted. Gratitude is, is being get, able to say, I give thanks in, at all times, in all occasions, for the Lord, as we looked at in Philippians 4 this morning, the Lord is near to me. When we have a heart of gratitude, it brings you back to reality of what God has done for you. Because sometimes when we're just stuck on that disappointment, when we're stuck on those doubts, we forget everything that God has done for us. Every wonderful thing, every wonderful act that God has done for us in life. And I would encourage you, if you, if you don't do this, this is a great discipline, tool discipline. Um, have a prayer journal or somewhere you can write down where God has come through for you over and over again. Because you can look back on those moments and say, wow, and this day, and this time, and this time, I saw the faithfulness of God. And that faithfulness, that faithful moments over and over again will override that moment of doubt in your life. Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, um, was overlooking a, a devastated Jerusalem. He was seeing death all around him, people uh, starving to death. Um, people in society in disarray. And this is what he decided to do. He decided to take his fears, his doubts, and God's goodness, and he decided to turn it into a prayer of thanksgiving. This is what he says in chapter 3, verses uh, 15 through 17. Even if the fig tree does not blossom, and there is no fruit on the vines, and if the yield of the olive fails, and the fields produce no food, and even if the flock disappear from the fold, and there are no cattle in the stalls, yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like deer's feet, and he has, he has, he has me walk on my high places. Listen to this last, last part. For the choir director on my stringed instruments, he took the heartache, and he made it a worship song. I don't know if he was a good Chris Tomlin of his day or not, but he was willing to say, God, I'm going to take back all this negativity, and I'm going to turn it around to praise and worship of you. And no, no figs on the trees? No cattle uh, uh, in, the, in the stalls? In other words, no, no food to eat? Still praising you. That's what a heart of gratitude will do. It says, I'm going to look at my disappointment, screw on. And I'm going to say, but yet God is greater yet still. I encourage you to get a book. There's a book I read back in the 1990s. I still have it on my shelf. Um, it's called Disappointment with God by Philip Yancey. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's a great book. It comes from a psychological perspective. But this is what he says about disappointment. I want to leave it this with you. The Bible never belittles human disappointment. But it does add one key word, temporary. And what we, what we know we will not always feel. Our disappointment is in itself a sign, an aching, a hunger for something better. And faith is in the end a kind of homesickness for a home we have never visited but have never once stopped longing for. The answer to the question I proposed earlier, how can God take all my losses and all my pain and all my suffering and make it right? And the answer is this. He has done so through the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Not just for this temporary home in which he guides us and He loves us and he overshadows us with his presence. But he's also given us something greater. He's given us his his love, his unconditional love, his unconditional forgiveness, his unconditional mercy, his unconditional grace through allowing his sinless son to die on a cross in our place. And not only just for the forgiveness of our sin, but also so that we might have something to look forward to beyond this temporary world filled with heartache and sin and problems and worries and fears. That before us lies eternity. Think about that for a moment. Eternity versus 80, 90, 100 years of life, of struggle on this earth. He has provided a greater way of heaven where there is no more pain, where there is no more suffering, where there is no more questions and where there is no more no. Would you turn your disappointment to gratitude? Would you hold out on faith? Would you be willing to take your doubts to Jesus? Pray with me. Father, I know that this message was a hard one to hear. Um, But Lord, just as much as you have Um, just worked it in me as I've looked at this passage for the past several weeks. Um, Lord, I I pray that this message, this passage would would also minister to the hearts of of anyone in this room that is struggling today um, with your no. That, Father, that no matter how you respond to us in life and in any given situation, Father, you bring us to a place of, of, of decision whether or not truly we trust in you that we truly trust in you for a plan that maybe we cannot fully see, that we trust that, Lord, that your plans for us in life are, are better yet than our given plans. So, Father, for that, that, that man or woman that might be in this room today or listening online, um, that struggles in their doubts, Father, I pray that you would minister to them. And I say to them, Lord, as you said to John the Baptist, blessed is he who's not offended when I say no. Lord, help us in our belief and help us in our unbelief. Help us in our struggle. Be merciful to us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.